So hi everyone, this is the IMT uh, Optimized Interviews Gastro Knowledge video for, and this time we're going to be talking about uh, inflammatory bowel disease. So I'm Michael, I'm one of the gastroenterology registrars uh, in South London. I introduce Justin. Um, so I'm Justin, uh, I'm one of the IMT uh, ones uh, based in Liverpool. So we're going to provide a, a kind of a brief overview of inflammatory bowel disease, what may come up if you were to have it in interview sessions, but also how to kind of manage it at the kind of initial level uh, when you see it uh, in hospitals. So without that, uh, with no more um, chat from me, I will let hand over to Justin. Brilliant. Thanks a lot, Mike. So, uh, yeah, we're going to be chatting about IBD today. So just to give you a bit of a primer and a background to it all, um, broadly speaking, in IBD, uh, it's commonly split into two sort of phenotypical types of IBD. Um, one is ulcerative colitis and, and the other one is Crohn's. So they differ in a couple of ways. Um, anatomically, um, ulcerative colitis, you know, tends to start in the rectum and extends towards the, the large intestine, uh, whereas Crohn's usually starts in the terminal ileum. And it can have sort of this patchy involvement throughout the intestine. So anatomically, there's some variation there, but also histologically as well. That's one way to differentiate between the two. Uh, so in UC, you get uh, submucosal inflammation, um, whereas in Crohn's, you get a bit more of a transmural type uh, inflammation. And I think broadly speaking, uh, you know, th these are the sort of two subsets of, of inflammatory bowel disease. Um, anything here, Mike? Yeah, I mean, I think I think it, it's it's right. There, are, you know, it can be difficult sometimes for even consultants to work out which ones which when you first meet people and investigate them. But yeah, no, you're right. So ulcerative colitis is just a large colon, uh, and it's something as you just said. And Crohn's can be any part of the gastrointestinal tract, so mouth, stomach, anywhere, um, small bowel, large bowel, um, and it and it, you know, as you said, it's transmuous. You can get some of the kind of nastier complications from that. So things like strictures fistulae, um, abscesses formation, particularly perianally, um, and all of those can develop because of the transmural nature of the inflammation. Um, but yeah, no, I, I think that's otherwise that's a good kind of uh, snapshot overview of it. Great. So I'm just going to move on to assessment. So uh, you're in an IMT scenario. Uh, they'll usually give you a history of a um, flare-up of, of either UC or uh Crohn's and they'll usually make it quite clear in history if that's you know if that's the station they're going for that you know this person will already have you know background history of inflammatory bowel disease so it won't be they won't send you on a sort of wild investigative you know goose hunt they just want to see we've got this person here who's got IBD uh, how are you going to manage uh, so um, I am just going to talk you through some of the history points um, so with IBD, probably the most common presenting symptom is, you know, altered bowel habits. So most commonly diarrhea um, with blood uh, and uh, crampy abdominal pain. So important to ask about these two things. Uh, but import, uh, equally importantly, that, you know, with IBD, you can get a lot of systemic involvement as well. So, you know, asking about things like fever, weight loss, you know, malaise, anorexia. And um, as Mike mentioned, you get a lot of extraintestinal uh, manifestations as well so you've got you know mouth eyes you know skin joint involvement so you can quickly touch on these points as well uh smoking history you know is relevant in this scenario uh i know it's a little bit different with with uc and crohn's uh but yeah you you, you can ask about smoking uh, and also because it can there is a sort of her hereditary component as well so asking about any family history uh of ibd 
and probably lastly asking about medications whether they're already on any therapy for for ibd um because they might already be on things like immunosuppression or steroids and things like that which are, which, are, which is important uh, to ask about um yeah i mean i think broadly speaking this is what i had on, on top of my mind about ibd was, was there anything here that you'd want to add no, I think that's good. I think that's a, a nice little summary of it. You know, as you said, the the classic scenario is, is a youngish person with presenting with diarrhea, and uh, and it may or may not be bloody. Crohn's uh, particularly may not always be bloody, um, but um, but it's certainly, as you said, it's certainly things you need to ask about and uh, and and kind of get on top of um, in the history. And, and when you when you hear that in the scenario, certainly you need to you know straight away you need to be thinking about is this IVD that they want me to go through here. What, and then kind of what examination wise, what would you be looking for? Uh, so with the examination, I think they're, you know, broadly speaking, I think uh, you'd, I, I'd want to be looking for uh, a, you know, what are the sort of diagnostic clues that point towards IBD? So if, if that's not already known, it usually is. But you can ask, you know, check for any extra intestinal sort of manifestations, which you might see on examination. Uh be any any sort of complications that they might have as a result of it so do they have any abdominal distension is there any signs of peritonism when you examine the the abdomen and see also important whilst you're examining a patient to determine you know what's their sort of hemodynamic status uh, because they can be sort of quite acutely unwell with with these sort of ibd flare-ups so so important because they will be sick in, in interview scenarios so always always important to mention that um so if you haven't already asked, uh, you know, you'd want to know what the vital signs are, because that gives you an idea of how hemodynamically stable or unstable they are. Uh, peripherally, things to look out for is you can get sort of hand nail changes, uh, and that's part of the extra intestinal manifestations of, of IBD. But also peripherally, you know, it's a good you know, way to check for the hemodynamic uh, stability as well. So looking at cap refill, uh, whether they've got any pallor, uh, what their pulse is like, what their blood pressure is like, you know, they look dehydrated, they look, you know, toxic, unwell. Uh, and then centrally, you know, you've got some things as well, which are extra intestinal, so things like um, ulcers around the mouth. Um, but also what, you know, something that I mentioned before is, you know, any complications of, of the IBD. So is there any evidence of bowel obstruction? So any distension? uh and looking at the abdomen as well you know do they have any signs of of peritonism um and as with you know any gastro station uh important to mention uh the pr examination if if appropriate as well as uh, potentially an examination of external genitalia as well yeah exactly i think i think that's that those are the kind of points you can fire off and say you would look for and should be looking for in real life when you meet these patients for the first time uh, and then investigations wise what would you think about doing uh, so with investigations uh, i'd want to send off some bloods so obviously getting their full blood count their usernees their lfts um, what their crp is and what the clotting is and this might help sort of classify what the severity is which which we can talk about a bit later on uh, also important to send off some stool samples as well to get some microbiology um, and thinking from a diagnostic point of view sometimes you can mention fecal colprotectin I mean they, they might already give you the diagnosis but if they haven't then obviously you know you can can mention that because it's got quite a good uh, negative predictive value you know trying to differentiate IBD from, from other mimics um, 
from an imaging point of view, you can use an abdominal X-ray or a chest X-ray to look. You, you know, if you're worried about perforation, if you're worried about you know bowel, this you, if they've got very distended, obstructed-looking abdomen, then obviously an abdominal X-ray might might help you um, further investigate that. I think ultimately, you, you know, you'd want to get the gastroenterology team involved in the care of this patient. So you'd want to get um, a sigmoidoscopy. Uh, for the patient, uh, potentially getting biopsies as well to check for things like CMV before starting immunosuppression, um, and they might need a colonoscopy as well. Um, yeah, is, it, is, it, is there anything else here? Yeah, I think I think that's I think that's good. The only things I'd add would be um, if you are seeing patients with chronic diarrhea, just uh, this scenario may well be about IBD, but just to rule out other things, uh, as you kind of mentioned at the at the end there. So thyroid function often cause of um, uh, diarrhea and weight loss as a celiac disease. So you can send off uh, anti-TTG antibodies or anti-endomesial antibodies, whichever your trust uses um, is useful. And then, yeah, key thing, as you said, really for the diagnosis of this is is, is a sigmoidoscopy. So flexible sigmoidoscopy in the first instance, if this is a new presentation, they will, if that is normal or abnormal, they're going to need a full colonoscopy at some point, but a flexible sigmoidoscopy can get done very quickly with an enema as preparation if they need it. And you can assess the disease, you, you know, you can uh, diagnose IBD for certain at that, well, for close to certainty at that point, you biopsy anyway, but um, you, you if you see a bowel that looks like IBD, you can do at that point. But yeah, absolutely, CMV is something to rule out, particularly if someone's immunosuppressed or have recent um, steroids or something or something like that. So it's important. Um, and then... Um, and I think you know you've touched on it as well already, but about uh, the assess the, when you're assessing these people, a good score to use is true love and wits. Um, it's supposed to be for colitis, but you can use it for both. It still gives you a good understanding of the systemic nature of their disease and and if they're unwell and it classes as mild, moderate, severe. And and if you're getting to moderate or severe, then you need to think about um, steroids in the management, which I think you're going to come to now. Yeah, so in terms of management, I think broadly you can maybe split it into two. So inducing remission and trying to maintain that um, uh, st that state. So uh, in terms of inducing remission, will be which will be the main part of your scenario, uh, thinking about IV, so getting IV access, uh, making sure that they're hemodynamically stable, giving them IV fluids to resuscitate, um, replacing any electrolytes, um, as they might be losing a lot through through the diarrhea, um, any analgesia uh, if they've got abdominal pain, um, and if they're losing lots of blood as well, um, they might you know, chronically or be heading towards uh, anemia, in which you would where you would which uh, consider a blood transfusion. Uh, in this patients, uh, important to mention VT prophylaxis as well because they can be prothrombotic. Uh, so mentioning low molecular weight heparin might get you some of those sort of higher level sort of marks to think about. You know, thinking. You know, a bit beyond just you know the SHO sort of you know, usual stuff. Um, stopping any sort of medications that might be exacerbating the, the diarrhea, so anticholinergics, antidiarrheals like loperamide and any non-steroidals as well. Worth mentioning that you would check for them if they were on them and, and stopping them. Um, ultimately, if you know, obviously Mike mentioned if they are you know moderate to severe and in, in the true love and wits criteria then they'll probably need some steroids uh, so it can either be in the form of IV methylprednisolone or oral prednisolone um, and if that doesn't work then obviously you'd, you'd want to get some you know GI input on this but 
the things that they might consider is, is things like cyclosporin and infliximab. Um, and I think if that still doesn't work, then obviously thinking about you know, discussion with surgeons or you know, whether or not they might need uh, surgery to have bits of bowel uh, removed. Is, is, that, is that about right, Mike? Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, the the thing, the molecular heparin is a very good point. These patients have inflammation. Their CRP may or may not be elevated, but they are by definition inflamed and that puts you at risk of clot. So even if they are having blood with every motion, they need heparin um, and uh, and and that should be managed. You can also think about blood transfusions. It's a good point if they're significantly anemic and symptomatic, but iron replacement as well. Uh, we tend to use IV iron because oral iron can often um, deteriorate bowel function, but IV iron when they're not in a, a acute infection can be useful. And then, yeah, steroids is often uh, used as, as acute severe um, ulcerative colitis, um, hydrocortisone, methylprednisolone, or prednisolone can be used. There's other Neurovat brands available as well, like budesonide, which has supposedly has less side effects, but that's probably a bit too um, too too kind of higher point. Um, and then you know, and the other thing that can be used for less severe cases, particularly for colitis, for ulcerative colitis, not for Crohn's, you can use five ASAs, so mesalazine lots of brands of those available and you can use that orally or topical so enemas or suppositories can be useful particularly if they've got just distal colitis and affecting the rectum or the sigmoid then enemas would be very useful um, and then you touched earlier about just kind of maintaining uh, remission once you've achieved it uh, yeah so some things that obviously this would mostly be initiated um, by the gastroenterologist, but, you know, they might ask and the things that you can use are, you know, azathioprines, um, uh, mesalazine, as Mike mentioned before, um, thinking about, you know, the potential side effects of, of steroid use long-term. So thinking about bone health, whether or not they need PPI cover or uh, sort of um, ADCAL or, you know, Bones, calcium vitamin D supplements to, to help maintain bone health. Um, you might refer them to uh, a dietitian or a nutritionist uh, for some advice and support uh, and smoking cessation as well, if appropriate. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. And there are, you know, there's lots of newer drugs called biologics available. So things like infliximab, as you mentioned earlier, but there's lots of variants now. There's a map. Um, vedalizumab, upacitinib, lots and lots of new medications. So those will always be initiated by specialists, but you can say that, you know, treatment escalation would be to a biologic or a JAK inhibitor would be um, appropriate. Um, but no, I think that's ab absolutely right. So the, um, the, just the key things to remember, I think from the treatment point of view is 5-SAs are only for colitis, they're not for Crohn's. Um, and uh, if they're severe, then steroids. And as you mentioned, kind of uh, if the steroids are not working within 48 hours or so, you need to think about escalating to something like cyphosporin and fixed map. But at that point, then you need to be really speaking to the surgeons about having getting them involved early and having good, clear discussions about it. And if they're that unwell, then you need kind of regular, either daily or alternate daily abdo x-rays because you want to look out for signs of obstruction or toxic megacolon, um, which can develop in these patients because they do get surgical complications with it. Great, thank you very much. Well done.